Good morning to you guys. Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, second book in the New Testament, uh, chapter 4. If you need to borrow a Bible or even take one home, there's some in the pews there. If the one in the pew is really ugly looking and you want a nicer one, we'll get you a nicer one to take home. You can break it in yourself. Um, Glad to do that for you guys. Mark chapter 4. Let me offer up a word of prayer before we begin. It's great to be here with you guys this morning. It's good to see you guys. Father, thank you that we can gather. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you're here. You said when two or three gather in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you're right in the middle of it. And so we welcome you, Lord. Um, By faith, we believe that you're here and that your Holy Spirit is moving among us, uh, opening minds, opening eyes of faith, softening hearts, and ready to change lives in an amazing way. So thank you. Um, May we lean into you this morning, Lord, and may we really believe that you're good and that you want the best for us and um, and that you're going to teach us. So we commit this to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Really well-known parable that Jesus talks about here. He talks about a farmer that goes to sow seed, and uh, the seed is the word of God. And Jesus is the farmer, if you will, or his, his work among, in the world still. He's still sowing the seed of his word and different types of soil here that are, speak of people's hearts. And so we're going to read verses 1 to 9 and then down to, uh, then we're going to skip over a few verses, which is kind of a little parenthetical portion. And then we're going to read verses 13 to 20. So let me read the whole thing so we can get a feel of the whole thing. We'll come back and examine uh, verses one by one. And again he began to teach by the sea, and a, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that, he got, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground for it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell by the, among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Down to verse 13. And we're going to come back uh, next time we're all together. And um, by the way, let me interrupt myself since I have that privilege. Next week we have a pastor from Ukraine coming and he's going to share with us. It's where Ryan and Jenny, a pebbleer from this church, are serving in Ukraine. He's going to talk about the possibility of us taking a missions trip over there in the summer. So uh, we welcome you to join next week, obviously. If you want to sit in on the meeting afterwards, if you're interested, possibility about going to Ukraine with us next summer, uh, come and just listen and kind of get some ideas and begin to pray. But he'll, he'll be here next week. Then the week after that, we will pick up the verses that we left out today. So all of that to say this. So, verse 13, they were asking, what does this mean, Lord? And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So this is really a pivotal, pivotal parable for us to understand some spiritual principles here. Understanding this will launch us off into other things. Verse 14, Jesus gives us the explanation. It's, we don't have to guess. 
The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. So, easy to understand, but let's, let's consider some things here. There's, there's three types of soils that he talks about, like a stony footpath and a, a sower in those days, a farmer in those days, there would be a field, that, but they would just, you know, they'd turn over the soil and then they would just walk and throw it. So, um, almost indiscriminately, and it's kind of how the word goes out today. It just We just throw it out there. It's going to land wherever it's going to land. And whatever kind of soil the word of God finds, whatever kind of heart in a person that the word of God lands in, that will determine the, the result or you know what happens with the word of God sown into somebody's heart. So I'm going to be using that farming phrase back and forth. You guys understand. So next to a field, next to a plowed field, there's obviously a footpath. That's where there's constant walking. It's more compressed. It's packed down. So let's consider, first of all, look at your notes, the hard heart. I'm calling it the hard heart. It's a heart that's been hardened. As the footpath is hardened because people are walking on it, some people have hard hearts. What is the result of hardness? Well, Jesus has already told us this this heart is hard. It's impenetrable or at least mostly impenetrable. The hard footpath in the, in the story cannot receive the farmer's seed. It's exposed to the seed, but the seed can't penetrate because the soil is too hard. As a result, the seed is left on the, on the footpath. The birds come down, uh, see it, they eat it, they swoop it up, and there's no chance. The hard heart, a person with a hard heart, a resistant heart, one that's kind of putting up some barriers, if you will, cannot rightly receive the word of God. It's just, this is heart stuff. I really love that about the Christian faith and about a life with Jesus. That nobody can force it on you. They might, they might force you to, to obey church rules or dress this way or limit yourself to these kinds of food or don't go to the movies or whatever rules that, that religious folk can come up with. But the whole idea of following Jesus is absolutely 100% voluntary. Nobody can force you. Nobody can make you. They, they might turn you into a churchgoer, but they can't turn you into a Christian. We, we open the Word of God. We speak about it. We pray. And as your heart is open and as you say, well, in, in my prayer when I was a kid, 16 years old, Lord, I don't know a whole lot about you, but if you're up there, I'm ready. That was my prayer. I, I, I really was ready. And he came into my life. I didn't have to understand everything. I just, I just needed to know that I needed him and that I was open to him. And he revealed himself to me. And I could choose whether I wanted to follow up with that or not. And I chose, obviously, to follow up with that. Turned away for a while. Had six years of of craziness and totally forgot God. He didn't forget me. He sent me a red-headed saxophone player. Chased me down at Cal State Fullerton. Dave Metzler. Just like the hounds of heaven. I think Billy Graham said, like the hounds of heaven. He just followed me around, encouraged me to reconsider my faith, and I came back to the Lord. 
But this idea of the hard heart, some people have hard hearts and they they hear the word of God, they hear it just as easily and just as readily as the person with a soft heart, but but nothing happens. The person is exposed to the word of God, their heart is hard, God's word cannot sufficiently enter a hardened heart. It's not designed to do that. God won't force himself upon anyone. Satan makes sure, and Jesus kind of gives the the, the imagery of, of birds coming down, Satan makes sure that the person, perhaps somebody in church, you know, comes with a hard heart. They hear the sermon, they're going, yeah, yeah, I understand it. But their heart is hard and they don't want anything to do with the Lord. And as soon as they walk out the door, if you will, or get in the car, drive down the street or whatever, at some point, the enemy, the wicked one, the Bible calls Satan the wicked one, the deceiver, the liar, the destroyer, comes and just kind of erases it from your mind, just takes it away. And it doesn't have time to linger. It doesn't have time to to kind of massage your heart and, and bring you to the place of faith because the heart is hard. The, the heart has already decided. The mind has already decided. I don't want anything to do with this. I might hear it, but I don't want anything to do with it. So Satan's pleased to come and just say, well, I'm not going to let it hang around then. I'll come up and scoop it out of your mind. I'll come up and, and kind of just remove it from your awareness. With that heart, with that person, there's no heavenly fruitfulness. There's no abundant life. Jesus came I Jesus said, I came to give you life and that abundantly. And a lot of people think the Christian life is mostly restricted. I'm, you know, are there restrictions? Yeah, just like it's good to drive on the road and not over the cliff. I appreciate guardrails, you know. Are there restrictions? Yeah, it's for my good. And I'm more free as a Christian than I was when I wasn't a Christian. I, was, I wasn't free. I was confined by my own sinfulness. I want, want to kind of ask you guys to consider this. As we go through the notes here, what creates a hard, a hard heart? What creates hardness in a heart? And I've never read this in a commentary, and I might be out of my mind, and I might be out of my mind anyway, but I kind of like this idea. You guys can take it home and pray about it. I thought about the footpath next to a, next to a plowed field. So there's a field, and it's plowed, and there's another field, and it's plowed, but there's a footpath that cuts through, and you guys know this if you, if you ever go hiking or something. There can be fertile ground, but where you walk, it's hard. Why is it hard? Because people walk on it. And we have this phrase, you know, oh, I'm not going to let somebody walk all over me. Sometimes when people walk all over us and we are hurt, we get defensive and we say, you know what? That's not going to happen again. And we can have hard hearts because of injury to our souls, because of injury to our lives, because of emotional damage, because of physical violations, any number of things that happen in life. And just sometimes life is just hard. You lose a, a parent at a, and you're a young kid and, or just bad things happen or whatever, and it hurts. It hurts really badly. And nobody you know, actually enjoys pain. And pain hurts, and that's why we don't like it. And we so, so we say about the world around us, I'm not going to let that happen again. That person, that person that violated me, I trusted that authority figure. I'll never trust an authority figure again. Or that relative that hurt me, or I gave my love to this person and they turned around and cheated on me and I will never give my love to anybody again. I will never trust a church again. The church hurt me. I will never, you, you guys understand what I'm saying. I will never make myself vulnerable again to anybody and so I'll be nice, I'll shake your hand, I'll smile, but I'll never let you in because I'm not going to get hurt again because people walked on me. And now my heart is hard and I understand that. I've been there. You guys have been there. The defense mechanism and the self-preservation thing within us is a very, very strong thing. 
So how do you preserve yourself from ever getting hurt again, perhaps in a love relationship? Don't ever love anybody. Some people swear off a of marriage. They swear off a of church. They swear off of whatever because I don't want to get hurt again. Fine. But you'll also never experience that love again. You'll never experience a trusted friend again. You'll never have a good church experience. You'll never have a, a close a family relationship again because you got hurt and you decided it's not worth taking the chance again. And so there you are, hard heart. And perhaps even a Christian hurt you or a pastor or a church or something like that and you're thinking, okay, I'll sit here, but I'm, if, you, if your hands or arms are folded right now, I'm not talking to you, okay? I'm just, we, I've, I've had this posture before. You can keep talking. I... Not going to touch me. I'm in, you know, I'm in charge of my life. I'm in control. I'm not going to get hurt again. And I just thought, you know, a lot of hearts have gotten walked on, haven't they? Everybody's a victim in the room. We've all been victimized to one degree or another. By people, by life, by a physical ailment, whatever it is, we're all suffering somehow. And, if, and you know, if we want to avoid suffering, we take means and we take steps to not let it happen again, and that creates a hard heart. And I understand that. God understands that. But you also never have the chance to really know the love and the beauty and the guidance and the comfort and the healing that God wants to bring. So as people come to church, I just always ask them, you know, to listen and consider. Just think about it. You know, people even may have hurt you in the name of Jesus, but you know what? Jesus never hurt you. Jesus died for you. He's the one that gave himself up to pay for your sins. He's the one that longs to comfort you and heal you of whatever has caused you to have a hard heart. Whatever, however your heart got walked on, the Lord wants to heal it so you don't have to be a prisoner to your own self-preservation. And then you guys know this too. I'm talking, you know, preaching to the choir as they say. And then when the pain comes, we try to numb it with all sorts of things too. Been there, done that. Because pain hurts. It's hard to live with. But I'm, I'm thinking there's lots of ways a heart can become hard, but I'm, I'm kind of real sensitive to this idea as the, as, the, as, the, as the footpath is walked on. A lot of, a lot of us have been walked on. But if you never take a chance with Jesus, you'll never know him. And Jesus is not like everybody else. He hasn't hurt you. Maybe people have hurt you in his name, but it wasn't him. And if he ever does bring something kind of painful into my life, it's for my good, not for my destruction. The Bible says, as the, as the father disciplines his children, so the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And I've been on that end, and every time he has to kind of you know, pull the leash and kind of tighten me in a little bit and kind of hem me in a little bit for a season, it's always for my own good and for my own growth and my own progress. So everything that God does in my life is good. But you can get so conditioned, kind of a Pavlov's dog kind of thing. You know, you see that thing coming where you have to trust somebody again, psh, the wall goes up. I just pray that the wall won't go up with Jesus. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know, I went to church and ate one of those potlucks before, it didn't taste good to me. I had my, I had my fill of churchianity. We're not talking about churchianity, we're talking about Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What if I get hurt? Well, the world is, is not the way that God designed it and the world is full of sin and all that, but Jesus will never destroy you. And if he does anything that takes you out of your comfort zone for a while, it's because it's not a good place to stay. 
And so, you know, I just get this idea, this, this, this picture of a hard heart is oftentimes a heart that's been walked on, a person that's been hurt. What's the cure for a hard heart? I also put, what's the cure for a protective heart? What's the cure for hard soil? Get a lot of water on it. Soften it up. Let the, let the water penetrate the soil and when it's sufficiently soft, you bring in the plow or the pick or the shovel or whatever it is, the rototiller, you bring it in and you start plowing things over. There's a really interesting uh, analogy that the Apostle Paul uses. Look at your notes if you would. He's talking about marriage and he's talking about the relationship between husband and wife. And he says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for the church. And then this is what Jesus does for his people, for his church, for his bride, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And the word of God is described in many ways, the bread of life and and a number of other things, but the word of God is described as being like water, and water washes you and it cleanses you from all the junk that you get on you as you walk through the world, world. And in the same way, the Word of God, I mean, we walk through the world and we get all kinds of junk on us. We get road rage on us and we get Bel Air parking lot frustration on us and we get, you know, heartburn on us. We get all this, all this stuff that comes on us and as I, as I read the Word again, it kind of helps me deal with the anger or the unforgiveness or whatever it is that's going on in my own heart that needs to be cleansed. But the Word of God is likened unto water that cleanses us, but water on dirt also softens it. And I've had hard, a hard heart sometimes against this person or that person, and I don't want to forgive, I don't want to forgive, I don't want to forgive. Why? Because they hurt me. They walked on me. And I'm not going to let that happen again. And when I see you, I'll show you. I can turn faster than anything you've ever seen. You know? And then I'm reading the Word of God, and Jesus is teaching about forgiveness, and I'm like, oh, I hate when you do that. Why do you make me change? Why do you, why do you convince me that you're right and I'm wrong? Lord, why do you do that to me? And I start praying for somebody, and then I start liking them. Like, I don't want to like him. I want to stay angry. And the Lord is just soft. The water's coming into my heart. The water of the word, it's softening my heart. And then he gets out the rototiller. And he's just plowing me. And if you will come in here and just expose yourself to the word of God and let it start to do something, the Lord will bring you to the place where you can, is it trust? Is it a step of faith? Yeah, it's absolutely a step of faith. But you'll realize it's a reasonable step of faith to come to him. And then he starts plowing you, which means he turns your life upside down. And we hate that too because we don't like change. But the word of God comes, it softens us, and then like the farmer plows the ground, he starts plowing our lives and turning things over, and then the seed really starts sinking in. What's the end goal here, guys? Look at verse 20. These are the ones sown on the good ground. See, the hard heart can become good ground. These are the ones sown on good ground who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, 30, 60, 100. Would you like your life to be 30 times better than it is right now? Internally, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually? Would you like it to be 60? Would you like it to be 100 times better than it is? Would you like to be 100 times more forgiving than you are? God can do that. He changes us. Would you like to be 100 times more self-controlled than you are? because you have the Spirit of God directing you and leading you in your life. Everybody wants that. But don't give me the water and certainly keep the rototiller away. It's not going to work. We have to trust the farmer, if you will. We have to trust him to turn over the soil of our hearts. It means you have to surrender. But you're surrendering to the God of the universe that loves you. 
And so the cure for a hard heart is to let it get softened, to let it get broken open, to let it get plowed. Let the Word of God come to you, come to you, come to you. Even if you're not a Christian today, take the Bible and just read it, read it, read it, read it, just read it. And just say, okay, Lord, if you're there, you better do something in my heart because I don't know if I believe in you or not. Just read it, just read it, just read it. I love telling people that. Jesus said, if you want to know the will, uh, the will of my Father, if, if the doctrine is true, just read it. Seek the Lord and you'll find him. And if you read it with a sincere heart, the Lord will reveal himself to you. And then you can respond. So sometimes people will plow us for evil. (laughs) But God will only plow us for good. And so this hard heart that Jesus talks about, you don't have to have a hard heart. You don't have to stay having a hard heart. But it does require trust. It does require faith. And if you don't have faith today, fine, take the Bible. And I might be speaking to some veteran Christians here of some areas of your life. You've got a pretty good field except this northwest corner over here. It's where all the hardness, where you keep all the hardness. I'll trust God with all these other things, but not with this. You know what? He wants a fruitful field. He wants a full yield of fruitfulness in your life. So, hard heart, often because we get hurt. Don't resist the Lord. He talks now about the stony heart or the shallow heart. Look at verses 5 and 6 if you would, guys. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. When the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root and it withered away. Down to verse 16 and 17, explanation. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. The shallow ground does not have deep soil. The, the, the seed does grow. The, the, the fertility, there is some fertile ground there, but there's not much. It's shallow soil and there's rock underneath. It can receive seed and water. It can germinate. It can sprout, but it doesn't permit depth because the plant dies. The shallow heart is open to God's word. It may even be excited about hearing it. But the shallow heart isn't willing to continue through tribulation or persecution. This is what Jesus said. It starts to get difficult. Like, like the hard rock under the shallow soil, you, you say, oh, I, I, I kind of like this idea of Jesus. And those Christians, you know, some of them are kind of strange looking, but they're pretty nice people and they're, they're shaking my hand and the church feels kind of okay. I think maybe this might be the path for me and then you kind of launch off on the path and the word of God starts doing something in your life, starts growing in your life and then some of your old best friends saying, you're a Jesus freak now? What's with you? What happened to you? What did they do to you? And there's persecution. And that's that, then you start to realize, ooh, I started to grow, but I guess there is an underlying hardness under there. I don't want to be hurt by my old friends. I don't want to be hurt by my family. I don't want to be made fun of at work. I don't want to be seen. I don't want them to think I voted for Trump. I don't want want to be classified like that. However, people may classify a Christian these days. And so you kind of say, well, I think that's about it. That's as far as I'm going to go. The shallow heart isn't willing to continue through tribulation or persecution. The shallow heart wants fruitfulness. Don't miss this. The shallow heart wants fruitfulness without hardship. 
You know what makes the grapes, one of the things that makes the grapes, as I understand it, I know there's some grape experts out there, but as I understand it, you know what makes the grapes so great here in the valley? It's that they get stressed. Hot temp. You know how you, we, we have our heat, right, in the summer? But it doesn't stay hot all night like it does in Southern California. Praise the Lord. You go to bed without the sheets on at 3 in the morning, you're covering up again. Because the temperature, and the, and the grapes are getting stressed, and that makes them strong and good, as I understand it. All you vineyard guys, please forgive me if I'm saying it wrong. That's, that's what I understand. A lot of us want fruitfulness in our lives without the stress, without the hardship, without the development. I want to follow Jesus, but I never want anybody to even cross their eyes at me. And when they cross their eyes at you, then you oh, forget it. It wasn't worth it. It's too hard. I can't endure crossed eyes. That kind of thing. The shallow heart is willing to believe as long as it's easy. Flip the page, guys, if you would. What creates a shallow heart? Why are some people unwilling to go? Th- I mean, we go through hard things for other reasons, for vacations or to get tickets to a, a, you know, a sports game. or we go, through, we go through hard things for a lot of other reasons. But sometimes we're unwilling to do it for eternal reasons. I was thinking that maybe there's a misunderstanding about the cost of following Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, it's definitely going to cost you something. This is what Jesus said. Uh, Matthew 10.32, the notes are there. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Now, now understand this in the context. Jesus is saying, I didn't come so that everybody has everything easy all the time. I came to bring truth, and sometimes truth causes even families to divide. Look at verse 34. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The result of him coming means that people are divided. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and the man's enemies will be those of his own household. Some of us have been very much misunderstood by family members when we decided to follow Christ. Jesus said this, Now here's the cost. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross, which was, we would say in these days, he who does not take up his electric chair or lethal injection, it means you die to yourself. You're no longer in charge anymore. You're willing to follow him. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. If you preserve your life in such a way that you say no to God, you, then you have eternal loss. But if you say before Jesus, I, okay, I surrender, I'm going to give up being in control, that's when you begin to find your life. It's counterintuitive to our, to our human nature. Once again, the hard heart, want to protect myself. Okay, you can protect yourself from getting hurt, but when you die, you'll be separated to, from God forever because you didn't want to take a chance. But the person says, you know what? Yeah, I've been hurt a bunch of times, but I think maybe Jesus is the answer. I'm going to open my heart to him. I'm going to take this chance. God, don't let me down. Don't let me down. And suddenly you find out that he doesn't let you down. He does all these amazing things in your life, and then you have eternal life. But there's a cost to it because I I know, I mean, you guys have, have been, in my own life, I've been made fun of for being a Christian. I've been kind of scoffed at and misunderstood, and so have a lot of us here. We need to decide, is Jesus worth it or not? Guys, you get, you get scoffed at for the friends you pick. Some of you get made fun of for the way you dress. I'm not going to point anybody out, but I'm just saying. Yeah. 
or the teams we root for, or, you know, the music we live. You know, you'll, you'll take an insult for the music you listen to, but sometimes we don't want to take an insult for Jesus. So if, if you're going, you know, you might be sitting here kind of going, ah, oh, I kind of like this idea. But if you walk out of here and you're kind of starting to say, yeah, maybe Christianity is the way to go, maybe Jesus is the way to go, and then you get out there, and the first time somebody says something, uh, it's just a little too hard. We suffer more for things that, that are temporal than we do for things that are eternal. Every Christian here too, I'm talking to you, and I'm not, 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 talk, not just talking to people that don't know Jesus, I'm talking to Christians. We can be very saved, but not very fruitful. He said 30, 60, or 100. Some of us are happy with single-digit growth. We want more growth from our bank accounts or our you know, stock market. If you want fruitfulness, be willing to take the insult because he, he gave it up for you, didn't he? And so we need to at least be able to, to endure some of that. Otherwise, we are shallow. Hi, how are you? Uh, yeah, uh, this is my friend so-and-so. Um, he's a Christian. He's very shallow, but um, he's not, you know... Who wants to be introduced like that? <laughs> you know, shallow Susie, shallow Steve. I'm just, just firing away. Right? Nobody wants that. So we need to be willing to go through. Follow the notes. What is the remedy for shallowness? Realize the commitment of following Jesus. Number one, understand what it means. It's going to cost you something, but know that it's totally worth it. If you lose your life, you'll find it. If the shallow heart wants fruitfulness, you have to understand that Jesus said it's going to cost you something. I want you to compare the shallowness of a shallow heart. How's life for Mr. Shallow? How's life for Mr. Don't, you know, if you say something, I'll, I'll just give up right away. How's life for that person as compared to life for Mr. Committed Heart? The, the committed person who says, you know what, you can mock me or whatever you want to do. I'm going to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Guys, our, our faith has a long line of amazing martyrs that have gone to the stake, been hung, been executed. Still today, many Christians are being killed every day throughout many places of the world. Down in, in the southern part of Mexico, Chiapas, very, very dangerous area uh, for, for Mexican pastors down there. I've seen some videos of some horrific things. Pastor friends that I have down in South Baja showing me, yeah, this is a guy that I know and, and you don't even want to know what was happening. People are, people are going, they're crossing the finish line at, at the aggressive and brutal hands of other people and they're not denying Christ. And for some, some of us in, in a, 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 a land where there's less persecution, can't even take an insult. God still loves us, but we might be kind of shallow. So, I don't want to be shallow. Anybody else? Anybody else want to go deep? It's going to cost you. You're paying the price for something else already. For work, recreation, possessions, whatever. You're working hard. You're denying yourself for other things that are going to perish. Much better to do this with Jesus. So, we don't want to be the shallow heart. Finally, he, he talks about the thorny soil or the divided heart. Look at verse 7, if you will. Let me get a sip of water here. Excuse me just a moment. Verse 7, And some seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Verses 18 to 19. 
And these have no root in themselves, so they endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises. For the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Oops, read that, wrong verse, 18. Now these are the ones among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So Jesus called this the thorny soil. It has, has a lot of weeds in it a lot of aggressive weeds in it. I also call it the divided soil or the divided heart. Now the, now the fertile heart, I mean the thorny soil, excuse me, is very fertile. It receives the word, so it's not like the footpath, it's not hard. And it's also not like the shallow soil with rock underneath. It has all the potential to have all kinds of maturity. But the problem with the fertile soil that it has thorns in it is that it's open to everything. It's not discriminating. It's not, it's not a discerning heart. There are, there are some Christians that are, um, well, any Christian. We have tremendous potential, guys. God can do amazing things with us, but we need to have some discernment about where we put our time and our money and our love and our efforts. And the thorny soil, the divided heart, has tremendous potential. The only thing that's prohibiting it from being fruitful is that it accepts everything. It doesn't keep some things out. It treats everything equally. gives equal value to all things. Look at verse 19, if you would. Jesus tells us what we need to be careful with. The cares of this world, that's just busyness. Now everybody, you know, my car needs oil just like your car needs oil. I need to get my tires rotated just like you. And I need to paint my house. And, you know, we have things we have to do. We take our kids to school. We feed them. We clothe them. Um, we wonder why they keep growing. I just say, well, quit, quit feeding them and they won't grow. I, I mean, we all have things. We have to take care of our health, exercise a little bit. We all have things to do. Those things aren't bad things. They're not bad things. But we get too caught up in them. And we give them too much priority. We see the flaking paint on the house and we think, I can't stop to, to serve God because I have a flaking spot on my house and, and what might the neighbors say or whatever else, or I just don't like it. We prioritize other things and neglect the things of eternity. Verse 19, uh, cares of this world. Those things aren't bad things, guys. They're not bad things. You've heard this phrase, haven't you? The enemy of the best is the good. None of your neighbors are going to make fun of you because you're picking the weeds out of your yard and, and trimming the bushes and keep a clean house and rake the leaves in front of your street. They're like, wow, we have a great neighbor. Look at that house. They're going to, they're going to boost our, our, the value of our home. Great neighbors. Man, we, nobody's going to say anything bad about that, but you can do that so much. You can have a pristine home and, and an empty spiritual life. Now look at verse 19 again. The deceitfulness of riches. It, if you think money's going to make you happy, you know, just listen to the Beatles, right? Can't buy me love. I mean, money can't buy me love. Everybody sing, ah, no. Money, money is not bad. Money is useful. 
Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil. Money is just a tool. Some of you know how to make it and some of you spend it very well. Praise the Lord, you're investing in the kingdom of God. Wonderful. But some of you are deceived thinking you need more and more and more. Cares of this world, verse 19, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. You're just never content. Just never content. Now I want you to notice, really, this is really, I think, I think verse 19 probably really describes us here living in paradise in Napa Valley, doesn't it? There's, there is a spiritual napathy. People are napathetic about the kingdom of God because we have everything. We have everything. And we forget about the things of eternity. Cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, entering in, choke the word, and that life, what's the next word? Not, that's not the next word. And, and it becomes. All the potential there for fruitfulness. All, all, if I may say it this way, all the potential to be an awesome Christian to be a person that God radically uses in the kingdom of God. A ton of potential. Don't you look at some people and just say, there was so much potential there. What a wasted life. They could have been this. They could have done that. There's a ton of potential there. But the good has choked out the best. And that life, it does, it, it's not born unfruitful. Guys, please notice. It's not born unfruitful. It becomes unfruitful. And you have to be discerning. We're discerning about what kind of, how we garden and how, what kind of cars we buy. We do research on, you know, I do research on musical instruments or digital software or, or computer software. We, do, we research everything and we're so discerning because we want to get the right thing. But we're so undiscerning about letting all these things crowd Jesus out of our lives. And we have all this potential. And we're unfruitful. Jesus changed the world with 12 guys. They were discerning. They knew what to live for. They knew what to die for. And they died well serving Jesus. And the world was changed. We're here today because 12 guys minus Judas, 11 guys, chose to be very discerning about their lives and they didn't have the cares of this world. They didn't have the deceitfulness of riches. They didn't have a desire for other things. They were fruitful Guys, the Lord is setting a banquet table before us here. I'm talking to the brethren now. He's setting a banquet table before us here. You want to be 30 times more forgiving than you are? You want to be 60 times more at peace in your mind than you are? You want to be 100 more times bold in your faith than you are? Then get into God's word and let it get into you and quit substituting the good for the best. Let God have you. Amen, guys? When is that ever a bad deal? I never had my whole life, I've never regretted once saying yes to the Lord. I always regret saying no to Him. I never regret saying yes to Him. Every fruitful Christian that you see, if you see a Christian in your life that is admirable, that you can respect and they have integrity and they're being used by the Lord, this is what they've decided. I'm going to let God have His way. I'm going to get His Word into me. Let it be a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Show me where I am. Show me where I'm going. And I'm going to push out this other stuff. And others are like, I'm just content to be in the garden. I don't care if there's any fruit in my life at all. I'm just happy I'm not going to hell. What's next? I want better cable. I want a faster... 
I like good fast cable too. Trust me, I love good fast cable. I love Netflix. I can't even believe we live without Netflix for years. How did we do that? How did we ever survive in America without Netflix? We binge watch sometimes. But I, but I know enough when God says, that's enough. It's enough now. The entertainment's not bad. It's a good, wholesome show. It's all fine and everything. But you're substituting something good for the best. You're giving up the best. Something Jerry Dorman and I used to say all the time, how much of Jesus can you have? All that you want. You're not growing? As, as Michael Jackson wisely said, look at the man in the mirror. It's you. It's me. How much can I grow? As much as I want. It's amazing. Isn't it astounding, guys, to think you could be a hundred times more fruitful in your life, in certain areas of your life, in, in whatever way God's gifted you and talent and given you talent and all that. It'd be 30 times better, 60, 100 times better. It's amazing. there's any anemia in the church we have to t- we have to own that don't we don't we amen i have to own it too i have to own it i can't blame shift i can't say well it's those people or the church across town or this it's me it's us how bad do we want how bad do we want the lord you know What's the remedy for a, dis- a divided heart? Look down at the bottom. What's the remedy for a divided heart? If you realize that you have a thorny heart, <laughs> if you realize that you, your heart is divided, there's weeds growing right next to God's word, what's the obvious? Weed the garden. <laughs> now you can come up and we'll pray for you to find your spiritual hoe and trowel. But you've got to weed the garden. If some things need to go, get them out. If you're, if you're too, if you're too uh, focused on money or the deceitfulness of riches or staying busy, if, whatever, you know, we can pray for you to have discernment and God will give you the self-control to follow through, but you have to do the work. You have to do the work. Don't blame the pastor. Don't blame the staff. Don't blame the culture. Quit, quit being victims of everything. Let's take a hold of our lives and follow Jesus, amen? Get some stuff out of your life. If you have a, weeds in the garden, you pull them. If you've got junk in your life, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Be willing to live a simple life, free of the many things that pass away. Maybe simplify. Maybe there's some things that are not sinful to have, but for you, you get them out. Live simply, Ask God to show you thinking and living that needs to be changed or removed. Be willing to go through that possibly long and methodical process of cleansing your life. Ask God for a renewed vision of what really matters. Ask Him to show you what to live for. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul wrote this to Christians who were in jail. He said, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now notice, guys, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God, wa- God wants to work it in, but you've got to work it out. You, you have to do the work. We're not working for our salvation, but if you're saved, if you're a Christian already, God's planted all these seeds in you. All this Word of God, the Spirit of God, all these things are planted in you. And you're thinking, why isn't it growing? Well, because you got junk in there and it's not being watered. And all you, 
Just think the garden. Just think the garden. If you leave the garden alone, it's a mess. Fruitful gardens take effort, don't they? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God working in us. Boy, he wants to make us fruitful Christians. If you're not a Christian today, open your heart to Jesus. If you've been walked on, he understands. He was brutally walked on. Jesus was brutally walked on and gave himself up for us to pay for our sins. If you're having trouble with shallowness because it's, you don't like being persecuted, you don't, you don't want to lose your friends or all of that, you know, uh, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He, he gave up everything for us. He's not calling us to give up as much as he gave up. But he is calling us to count the cost. And then finally, if you're a Christian, and, and uh, you know, especially for the old timers, I'm going to pick on, on you old timers here, pick on uh, us as a group. We, we, you know, in this room, we probably have a couple of thousand years of accumulated Bible learning. As I look around, some of the old boomers here, all the gray beards, you know, we've been around the Bible a long time. We've learned a lot. Does the, fruitfulness, does the fruitfulness of our lives match that? That's always a struggle for me. I know a lot more than I do. My actions are always catching up to my knowledge. Because action, I, can, I can learn something, but it doesn't require a lot of my will to carry it through. God wants me to work out my, fear with sal- my, my salvation with fear and trembling because it's him working in me to cause me to will, to want to, and to do those things that please him. So you old-timers, you veterans, as I look around the room, all you gray beards and ladies, no gray beards, thank God here, but uh, you know, hey, how's the, how's the harvest? And we'll probably get back and talk about what it means to be a fruitful Christian in a couple of weeks when Pastor Rob takes a stab at it. We're going to close with a song, a worship song. We're going to have men and women up here ready to pray for you. You can just, this is the time when we just want to close out the last seven minutes of our service here thinking about it. Just sit, maybe just sit and pray, listen to the music, maybe you can sing, worship the Lord, uh, or maybe, you know, if you feel prompted, I'm going to come up and, and have somebody pray for me. I don't like the persecution. God, give me courage to, to be able to accept some insults and some mocking. Or, Lord, my heart's hard, Pastor Bill. Uh, Lord, you nailed it. Pastor Bill spoke. I've been walked on. I've been hurt. I'm so afraid of opening up again, but I know I need to open up. Or, Lord, I'm a, I am so fertile. I have so much potential, and I've got so much junk cluttering my life. And I've got to get rid of some stuff. And I don't want to get rid of it because I like it too much. And we need to be willing to surrender. Would you say that love is the means to cultivate the hardened soil? Knowing that God loves you. Knowing that people love you is nice, but it's not enough. If I'm reading the question correctly. Knowing that God loves you and that if he breaks up the soil, that it's going to be good. I think that's the important part. Likewise is love also the gardener that clears the weeds and the rocks. Jesus named himself as the, as the gardener, if you will. Jesus named himself as, as the farmer. He'll put the tool in your hand and then he'll put his hand on your hand. 
And it works like this. But you've got to grab a hold of the tool. You've got to grab a hold of that thing. Lord, walk with me as I, as I clean out my life, God. Walk with me. And he says, I will. I'm right there with you. I'll help you clean out the life. But we can't just, we cannot say, God, weed my garden. He won't. He'll say, I'll help you weed your garden. But he won't do it for you. Don't ask him. He won't. Take it back a little bit. He may providentially remove some people from your life because you really need some help. But there will be, guarantee this, there will be things that you need to make decisions about. We can't just take a pill and be mature Christians. We've got to do some work on it. Another question. What is fruit? Come in two weeks. <laughs> or look up the word fruit in the Bible. Blue, blueletterbible.com Do the work. Look up the word fruit. Or just Google fruit in the Bible, New Testament. You'll see. Do the work. Anything else? When I was on the streets, I felt the most sincere connection with Jesus. Now that I've been housed, I've stopped coming to church so much and I just don't feel that connection as much anymore. I don't know what to do. I miss Jesus. He's there. I think maybe a person who's living on the streets realizes their their desperation. Just because you're living in a house, you're still desperate. You just, need to, you just need to realize it. Because now you have temptations that you didn't have before. Now you have the temptation to be lazy because you're comfortable. Different set of temptations. Different set of hardships. The Lord knows, needs to show you those things.